0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. And if you're at a campus, you can grab a seat. If you're not sitting already, if you're at 12 Stone Home, welcome. Listen, the song we just sung, It's about the one name that matters more than any other name, and that's Jesus. See, we believe that Jesus wants to transform your life through worship, community, and impact. And we're so glad that you're joining us because we think Jesus wants to change how we live, to look more like him. And so we're in a season right now where we're going to be jumping into a a series of four teachings over the month of November. And we're going to be, let's say it this way, we're going to be talking about relationships. If over the the past sort of five weeks, we've invited you to our table here at 12 Stone, and we've sort of laid out where are we headed as a church, over the next four weeks, we're going to climb up and pull up a chair at your table, and we're going to sit where you live, and we're going to talk about how we navigate the holiday season. Because it's so good, and it can be so complicated, can't it? In fact, here's how I see the calendar right now. If If you're taking notes, this is how I see the next eight weeks. It's all Christmas, a little Thanksgiving in there. We're not going to skip Thanksgiving, and then we're back to Christmas. And and, and this year feels like we have high hopes for the holidays, don't we? Like, the, the last 18 months has been tricky. It's been complicated. So much pressure. So many questions. And now it's time for the joy and the magic of Christmas. The music is beautiful. The tree, when that goes up on November 1st, like the Bible says, when that goes up... It's like everything starts to get all right in the world. Like if we could just get a little dusting of snow that would shut the city down for like five minutes, that would be great. See, we, we, we have these moments where we're looking forward to the holidays. And if you close your eyes, you can see what a perfect holiday would look like, can't you? Like the song's playing, the fire's crackling, and you just see it. Here's what you have to know. The perfect holiday season is not guaranteed. We are at great risk this year, maybe more than any other year, of making some major missteps around the Thanksgiving table with family and friends. We're, we're, we're at risk in this season of maybe making some big mistakes around the Christmas tree with friends and family. Our, our country is so divided. Our relationships are so distant. We're all in different camps. And if we're not careful in this next eight weeks, you're going to make mistakes that you'll regret in 2022. Here's why. Everybody does life differently, nobody does life perfectly, and neither do you. You think the way you do family is the right way. So did I when I was single, then I got married, and I found out I did it all wrong, right? That's how it works. Everybody does life differently, nobody does it perfectly, and neither do you. Neither do you. Let's demonstrate this. I want, to, I want some crowd participation here at home across the campuses. I need some hands. I want to show us how just families are different. So here's the two camps. How many of your houses are more spotless and clean? How many of your houses are more lived in? We'll say it that way, all right? How many of you, like my wife is like neat freak. So how, how many of you, like your house is just more of a clean sort of setup? You're vacuuming all the time. You love the lines in the carpet. All right. How many of y'all's houses are more lived in? All right. Praise God. You got kids. It's called lived in. We're already seeing the differences. How many of you, when you get home, you take your shoes off outside. How many of you wear your shoes inside? Take shoes off outside. Don't put them on my... How many of y'all are like, yeah, wear shoes inside, whatever? All right, we're all divided across the campus. All right, how many of you, you eat dinner earlier, like before six? How many of you eat dinner after six o'clock? Who's the early dinners? All right, how many of you are after six o'clock? All right, we're all over the map. How many of you, your house is more loud? Like you laugh loud. You tell stories loudly. Like when you come in the house, it's just a little bit louder. How many of you, it's quiet and more sort of reserved? So a loud house. Let's hear it. Wow. Some of you got two hands up. This is not your house. This is the house of the Lord. Just kidding. It actually is the house of the Lord. Uh, How many of y'all houses are more quieter? I should hear nothing. Pin drop. All right. You already see we do life differently. No one does it perfectly. Neither do you. But let's add the holidays to it. When I was growing up, the wishbone was like a like a uh, WWE wrestling match. Who gets to do the wishbone, right? So let me let me let me split this up. How many of you open Christmas presents only on Christmas morning? How many open some on Christmas Eve? So only Christmas morning. How have you opened some on Christmas Eve? Okay. Wow, more than I thought. You're wrong, but more than I thought. <laughs> How many of y'all for Thanksgiving? You wait till all the food's cooked, it's set on the table, even if it gets getting cold, and you all eat together, like and pray and begin. And how many of you is like more of a buffet? You grab a plate, grab stuff as it gets ready, you're watching football, okay? How many of you is wait till everything's ready and all eat together on Thanksgiving? How many of you is kind of like buffet style, grab stuff as you go? We're all different. You ain't perfect. And now let's add the last piece to this season don't raise your hands. (laughs) Who did you vote for? Don't raise your hands. What's your stance on the medical stuff happening right now? Keep your hands in your pocket. How do you think the country's going right now? Listen, you add those layers to the already parts of us that are so different from traditions to how you do family, this year is going to be complicated and you might not know it yet. See, I've got a good friend who has, from the outside looking in, one of the healthiest families I've ever seen. Got a bunch of brothers and sisters. And this Thanksgiving and Christmas will be the first time that they don't all gather together in 40 years. About 10 months ago, One of the siblings got in an argument about something that's seemingly petty, and the family split. People took sides, and family hasn't talked to family in 10 months. And this Thanksgiving, the table will have an empty couple seats for the first time in 40 years. That might be a little bit more exaggerated than we like to think, and that might be more common than we think. But here's the conversation we have to have. Over the next four weeks, we're going to have a family chat. And it's sort of like the chat that I have, and maybe some of you have, with my kids in the car before we go to a a friend's house. Parents, you know this conversation? You pull in the driveway, turn the car off, and you go, don't open the doors. When we walk in there, it's yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. When we walk in there, it's please and yes thank you. When we walk in there, it ain't your house. If they want you to take the shoes off, take the shoes off. You don't go in the master bedroom. Don't open that door. That's, that's a safe place for them. You don't open it. Don't go exploring in the cabinet. Like we have the conversation with our kids going before we get there, don't make these mistakes. Cause you will pay dearly church. That's this conversation. We're in the driveway about to hit the holidays. And before we step into this, let's get real smart about what God's inviting us into. How are we going to walk through these next eight weeks? And really, how are we going to live in relationship from here moving forward? Because it got complicated. See, here's, here's what makes family tricky. Most of us get to pick who we spend our time with all year round. If I don't like somebody, I don't spend a lot of time with them, right? If I like them and they're a friend, we spend a lot of time together. The problem is you don't get to pick your family, you got picked into your family. You don't get to pick them. And when you don't get to pick, you have to bear with. Here's the scripture that we're going to root this series in, in Colossians 3. I want to read this to you. And here's what, here's what Paul says to us. Therefore, as God's chosen people, starts with God always, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, And what? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Bear with each other. We have lost the art of bearing with each other. I'll make it personal. I don't like bearing with people. If y'all did life like I did, the right way, we'd all get along just fine, right? If y'all voted like me and thought like me and did life like me and did loud house and messy house like I'd like to do it, we're all good. But y'all got to go and have your own way of doing life and your own thoughts and your own will and your own ideas. And I don't like to bear with you. And you feel the same way. And yet, Paul says, bear with each other. See, there's a lost art of bearing with each other, and it has two principles, and the principles matter, and the order matters. Listen, you bow to your creator, and you bear with each other. You bow to your creator, and you bear with each other. It starts out, therefore, as God's chosen people, it's established. Once you've bowed to Jesus as your savior, God as your creator, your response in relationships is to bear with each other. I can't bear with you because y'all are crazy until I bow to my creator. Once I bow to my creator, I'm allowed, I'm freed up to have a a bear with attitude with each other. The essence of what Paul's saying is, listen, God elevated relationships to a spiritual issue. You're like, prayer is spiritual. Yeah, it is. How I treat you? Nah. No, God didn't give you that option. God's saying, the way you treat each other is a spiritual issue. And if you value relationships, you will bear the cost of relationships. And what God's inviting us to is to bear with one another over these next eight weeks. And if you don't cultivate the art of bearing with each other, you're about to have a messy and regret-filled holiday season. But before I, before I really teach, let me just make sure I'm not, you don't hear me saying something I'm not saying you bow to your creator, you bear with each other. The order matters. And you're about to have people that you didn't get to pick in your family and friends that maybe you're not around all the time. You're about to see people you might only see once or twice a year. They're about to invade someone's house. I hope it's not yours. About to invade someone's house and be around the same table. And they're going to bring their values, their priorities, their perspectives, And I'm not saying you have to bow to their values. You've already bowed to your creator and his values. So you bow to him, you bear with each other. For me to bear with you doesn't mean I have to bow to your values. So don't hear me say that. But what it means is that once you've bowed to Jesus as your savior, God as your creator, we bear with each other. And over the next four weeks, there are four things that have to get right in here so that we can do relationships well out there. And here are the four things we're going to be walking through over these next four weeks. Today is ingratitude. Then we're going to jump into self-indulgence. Amen. <laughs> then we're going to jump into offense and resentment. Uh-oh. Then we're going, to, we're going to lean into this thought of comparison. See, those four things are going to eat your lunch over the next eight weeks unless they get settled in here first. And our heart is your church family. Is that we would have the conversation in the driveway before we get to the holiday season so that we don't come back and have regret. Because if those four things sit inside you, you're gonna hate yourself in 2022. So today, we talk about ingratitude. Before we get there, I wanna pray. Because this topic is so vast, I don't have time to hit every way that it possibly could hit you. But I'm I've been praying. We prayed again this morning. I want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would personalize this thought and this talk for where you are right now. So bow your heads with me. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice you made. We thank you for the fact that if we've bowed to you, you can solve things in here. So, God, as we talk about the topic of ingratitude, Holy Spirit, would you personalize every word, every thought? every scripture and talk to each person where they are, and any place that there's a root of ingratitude, would you just shine a light on it today? And would you teach us how to pull it up and how to be people that are grateful? Because, oh God, we have so much to be grateful for. So would you talk to us? You're not a distant God that doesn't care. You are here, you are now, and you want to speak. So Holy Spirit, we free you up to speak, convict, encourage, and heal wherever you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In gratitude. Everyone say that word with me. One, two, three. In gratitude. That's where we're headed. Is there anything worse in parenting than when you do something good for your kids and they're still ungrateful? Like when you see a kid having a temper tantrum at Disneyland, it's like I'm mad enough with a temper tantrum. When they're there, it's like drop kick. I wouldn't do that. But like it's there's a there's a part of you as a parent, don't clap that you're gonna go to jail. Uh, as a parent, when you do something good for your kids and they're still ungrateful, it's the worst. When I was a kid, this is how my dad would do many Christmases, many birthdays. You think I'm lying. This is 100% true. Christmas morning, we'd get down to the tree, open our stocking. There's the presents around the tree. And we'd open the first present. We'd get it out. And usually, you know how parents usually, uh, people usually ramp up the presents Starts with socks and ends with, like, a Nintendo or whatever you get. That's old. That's how I was a kid. You ramp up. So we'd open the first present, socks. And my dad would go, stop! Christmas stops. And he'd say this, kids, if this was all you got for Christmas, would you be grateful for what you have? And I was young. I'd be like, yep, next box, right? And next box happens. I stop! If the rest of the boxes were empty, would you still be grateful for what you had? And as a kid, I just saw that question as a hurdle to get to the next present. So I'd answer. As I grew up, I realized what my dad was doing. He was trying to cultivate gratitude in his kids. See, as a kid, I thought the next box, the next thing I could open would finally give me the joy that I was looking for, or the gratitude I was looking for. My dad was going, you got to stop and ask the question, if this is all I have, am I still grateful? So let me tell you why ingratitude is so dangerous. Here's what ingratitude does in you. Ingratitude discounts the past, devalues the present, and distorts your future. Let me unpack that. Ingratitude discounts what's already happened. Like all the things leading up to this moment now, it discounts the blessings that you have. I got a roof over my head. I'm My belly is not starving. I'm full. I've got people who love me. It discounts all that. And then inside the present, it devalues it. The value of each second that clicks by slowly becomes devalued because you can't even be appreciative of the moment you're living in. And then it distorts your future. It makes the future the place where all your hopes are. Like, it's not good enough now, so I want what's next tomorrow and the next day. And it distorts your view of the future. Ingratitude is a dangerous thing because it robs your past, your present, and your future. And let's not pretend this started with us. In Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, the fall, what was at the root of the fall? Listen, God created the whole world. It was paradise. It was perfect. It's a dude and his wife running around naked all the time. Everything was perfect. It was awesome. And then what what does Satan do? The serpent comes down and goes, hey, didn't he say you couldn't have that one tree? Yeah, but I, I literally can have anything else I want. But that one tree, that would solve what's missing in you. Don't pretend this started with us. The Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Life is good, but I want to build a tower and get to God. That's when I'll finally have all this stuff in here right. See, in 1 Samuel 8, the Israelites are like, listen, all the other countries, they have kings. We want a king. And God's like, I had a, such a better way of doing this, but fine, here's your king. Still ungrateful. Then you jump ahead to 2 Samuel 11, and King David has a bunch of wives. Life is good. And then he sees Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof, and he's like, that'll finally make me happy. If you know the story of David, Destroyed his life. Massive fallout. See, ingratitude always leads to destruction. See, the great lie is that the next person, thing, job, present, event, or experience will fulfill what is lacking inside of you. The great lie that Satan inserted into God's perfect creation and that we still wrestle with is the thought that the next thing will solve what's lacking in here. See, ingratitude makes more of what you don't have and less of what you do have. And the, the interesting thing about ingratitude and gratitude is that gratitude is not a distinctly Christian value. Like, the world likes gratitude. Like, you should say, thank you. It's why we teach our kids thank you. In your neighborhood, if you've got kids running around, you know the kids that are grateful kids and the kids that are a little more entitled, and it's like, I don't want to give you that popsicle, but I will because I'm a good person. But I know I, I, gratitude is valued in our culture. Anywhere from Oprah to your counselor, you don't have to know Jesus to say gratitude matters. But for a believer, the source of gratitude is different. If you're a follower of Jesus, gratitude comes and springs forth from a different place. That's what's different. The lie is that something out there will fill what's empty in here. But for a believer, if you're taking notes, gratitude is not found out there. It's cultivated in here. Gratitude is not something you purchase off a shelf or you find in the world. It's what you cultivate in here. And if you're spiritually unresolved, I understand the roller coaster of just, man, life is good, so I'm grateful. Life is bad, so I'm ungrateful. Life is, I get that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, gratitude is not found in things out there. It's found and cultivated in here. And you can see how ingratitude would ruin a holiday season, don't you? Like if you show up to Thanksgiving or Christmas ungrateful, and you're looking for something else out there to fulfill what's empty in here, you're going to make everybody else have to be about you. And you won't even know you're doing it. That's what's scary. Well, I wouldn't have cooked the food that way. Nice try with the mashed potatoes, grandma. You you would never say that because you get smacked, but you think it. Man, I didn't get to sit at the table I wanted to. I'm 30. How am I still at the the card table with all the kids? You, You start to make the whole day about yourself, and you don't even know it. That's what's terrifying. Ingratitude makes the world have to bear with you instead of you bearing with them. See, gratitude is cultivated in here. And what Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3, the very next two verses in 15 and 16, here's what he says. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Where? In your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He's saying, listen, the place gratitude lives is in here. It's not on a shelf somewhere. It's not in the next relationship or experience. It's not in everybody at Christmas making all your Christmas dreams come true. It lives in here. When the peace of Christ rules in you, when you've bowed to God as your creator and Jesus as your savior, the peace of Christ lives in here. and I don't have to chase it everywhere else. Gratitude is not found out there, but when you're right in here, I don't have to require everybody around me to make it about me and in great part in our world, pick a percentage, a big percentage of people don't know it, but the emptiness in here forces everyone around them to make it about them. You know people like this. Don't say their name. Don't tag them on this teaching. Well, maybe you should. We know people who have emptiness in here and they're looking for everyone around them to solve it. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus, he will solve it in ways that the world could never touch. See, when I bow to Jesus as Savior, here's what he enables me to do. First Thessalonians 5 says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus I like that whole verse except the word all don't you that's a verse like that grandma would knit into a pillow and it's like that's beautiful can we just pull the word all out like I I know how to rejoice in good circumstances and I know how to complain in bad circumstances I know how to rejoice when things are going well but and I know how to complain when things are going wrong but how in the world do I give thanks in all circumstances because he solved things in here that changed the way and my needs for things out there. See, but how do you continue to give thanks when you say, "Okay, that's great," but I'm sick this holiday season, and my family's a mess right now. I'm not talking to my family right now. What do I have to be grateful for? So I, I, I get those words. All are complicated. But he doesn't say, listen, be thankful once all your dreams come true. Be thankful once everything's lined up like you wanted it to. Say things like, if I just had the perfect family, I'd be thankful. No, you have the perfect heavenly father. Say things like, if I just got the perfect gift. Nope, you got the gift of salvation in Jesus if you're a follower. man, if I just had all my circumstances right. no, nope, you've been rescued from your circumstances of sin and death. See, the greatest issue of the Israelites, when you look back at the Old Testament, is they would forget so quickly. God parted the Red Sea. They got in the desert. How long did it take for them to get ungrateful? Like a minute. I used to look back at them and think, the Israelites were just a bunch of dopes. And then I had kids, and I realized how quickly ingratitude comes, right? I can't even let my kids watch television right now. Because they have like assassins that are working at these marketing places and they have a way of showing a 20-second commercial, and my kids are like, I have to have that or my life's incomplete. How? You don't even know what it does. Explain to me what it does, and I'll get it for you. I don't know. I just have to have it. All these commercials in this season are designed to make your kids ungrateful for the thing they got last year and need the thing they'll get this year that'll solve the thing they think is broken. There's millions of dollars spent on this through November and December, and it pays off or they wouldn't spend it don't pretend like adults, we're immune to this, my favorite commercial for, for Christmas, they do it every year, who does this, there's always this like cute little couple, it's like Billy and Samantha, and it's Christmas morning, and they come down, and like their hair and makeup's done perfectly, they obviously don't have kids, and they have a cup of coffee, and he's like, hey babe, and he blindfolds her, you know where this is going, and he takes her away from the tree, you're like, well what, it's not on the tree, what could it be, And they go out to like a perfectly snow atmosphere except the driveway's plowed on Christmas morning. And there's a brand new like $80,000 car with a giant bow on it. And he's like, here it is. This is for you. And she's like, oh, Billy, thank you. And I'm like, who does that? How could I sneak an $80,000 car under my wife's nose? And she's like, I had no idea. In essence, you gave your wife a car payment for Christmas. This doesn't work. What are we doing? Listen, don't pretend that we're immune to this. The great lie is still whispered. If you get the next thing, it'll solve what's empty in here. If you go into this holiday season and need something out there to fix what's in here, you're going to make everything about you, and it will distance you in relationships, and you will require people to measure up to something in your head you don't even realize you're doing. And you will leave Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas morning, more empty than when you started. Listen, let me say it how I'd say it. There ain't nothing sitting out in a storage container in the Pacific Ocean that you're waiting on for Christmas that's going to solve what's empty in here. We have to cultivate this See, if you want to grow a plant, tomato plant, I don't know. I'm not good with horticulture. If you want to grow a tomato plant, I know this much. You don't just dig a hole, throw the seed in, and walk away. And three months later, you got like, all these tomatoes. Like, I know enough. It didn't work that way. You put a seed in, cover it back with soil, you water it, you weed it, you water it some more, you feed it. Whatever those bags are, they sell at Home Depot that are expensive. Apparently they work. You put that on there, and then eventually you're sort of pulling the tomatoes off at the right time. What did you do? You cultivated something. Listen, you're not going to stumble upon gratitude. You have to cultivate it. And here's the truth. If ingratitude discounts the past, devalues the present, and distorts your future, here's what gratitude looks like. Gratitude celebrates the past, makes content the here and now present and gives courage to your future. Here's how you cultivate gratitude. Listen, gratitude helps you look back and go, oh, wow, thank you. And gratitude helps you sit in the moment and go, man, this is the only moment I'll have right here and now ever. When it's gone, it's gone. I'm going to grab this moment and gratitude gives you courage for your future. The same God who provided in your past will provide in your future. It changes how you see things. So I want us to unpack those three thoughts. This is how you cultivate gratitude, and you have a role in this. The gospel says, listen, God will give you his peace through Jesus, but you have to cultivate a spirit of gratitude. You're not going to stumble upon it. You're not going to purchase it from Amazon. you got to cultivate it. So I want to get real practical because I think sometimes the most... Life-changing things are the most simple and practical, right? Like, brush your teeth is not profound. That will change your life, some of you. Y'all stanky breath. Brush (laughs) them. Got them. Here's the first. Celebrate. It celebrates the past. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you, God, have done. I ponder the works of your hands. Do you hear the language there? This is King David writing this, and he's going, listen, I remember the days of old. I meditate, meaning like not just like let it pass. I sit in that, and I meditate on it, and I ponder the works of your hand. If you want to read an incredible psalm, read Psalm 136. It's give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, and then David begins to list out all these things that God did in the past for him. God, you parted the Red Sea. You struck down this wicked king, and it's long. You know how long the psalms can get? But David made it a discipline to list out. I like to think that David was in a season where ingratitude was growing in him, and he could smell it. Like, man, nothing's giving me the buzz that it used to give me, man. I I used to be grateful for this. I used to be grateful for that. And I just feel this kind of sick ingratitude growing. And I like to think he'd pull away in the palace and just start writing down, God, you did this. Oh, God, you provided me this. Oh, God, you provided me this. God, thank you for this. See, the whole Old Testament culture was built on the, the concept of remembering. They have whole festivals and dinners and parties that they would have planned in the calendar year. with The whole point was, about the time you start to get ungrateful, let's remember. The whole system was built on that because they know we're so prone to ingratitude. Starting in November, our family started this. And it's going to sound way prettier and like, like a beautiful memory than it really is because it's like pulling teeth. But every night at dinner, my wife has a notebook, and we go around the table, and every person has to say one thing they're grateful for. And here's the trick. You can't repeat anyone else's from any day in the month. So it's 150 unique things to be thankful for. On one hand, that's going to start getting dicey. On the other hand, really? Things are already starting to go off the rails. What did, uh, last night, one of the kids were thankful for a napkin. So we're already starting to get like down to the bottom shelf. But hey, if it wasn't there, you'd miss it. God thanks for a napkin. Like maybe it's as simple as between now and Thanksgiving, you cultivate your list of things you didn't say thank you to. Here's what I discovered I started with the big things. God thanks for a house. God thanks for 12 stone. I love that I get to be a part of what God's doing there. And as the days have started to go on, I had to start thinking different. And when i put my this is silly when i put my socks on this morning i was like i'm going to thank god for socks tonight why cuz it was the present i hated as a kid but how different do socks make your life like, let's not be dumb let's not, um, let, let me just be silly like socks are a de- like i'm not this is not the 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 jesus juke flip you know what homeless people ask for the most socks we overlook the small places That God has been so kind. And maybe in this season, you need to cultivate gratitude with a list. Let me be cheesy. Satan doesn't want you to get a pen and a notebook and start writing things down. Because when you start to write them down and get grateful, it points you back to your creator, and he hates it. When you start thanking God for all the things, it brings you back to the person who gave you the things, and he hates it. And I'll I'll be candid. There have been seasons in my life where gratitude was really hard and I have to walk myself back to bedrock of gratitude. I'd have to literally go take some time by myself, go pull away and go, God, I'm not grateful for my job right now. Never at 12 Sun, obviously. I'm not grateful for my job. And dude, I got a screaming six-month-old, and I'm not grateful for him. <laughs> and I don't love this house, it's small. My friend just got this, and this guy just got this, and God, I'm not grateful for this house. I'm kind of lonely. My friends live over here and we've moved away and I'm not grateful for that. I walk myself back until I hit bedrock. And for me, when I finally hit bedrock, if the only thing I have to be grateful for is what Jesus did on the cross, it's enough. And I know it sounds cheesy and like when you're a pastor, you're supposed to say that. Sometimes I have to take myself that deep to get to gratitude. I go, if nothing else, God, if you stripped everything else away from me, I know my, my eternity is secure in Christ, and then I build back from bedrock. But you know what? I am grateful. You gave me an awesome wife, and there's people that would love to have this infant screaming. And God, there are people that love this house to live in, and there's people that would love, and I walk myself back to gratitude. That's cultivating gratitude. But it does more. It starts by celebrating the past. Then it makes content the present. Gratitude makes content the present moment. Philippians 4.11 says, I'm not saying this. This is Paul. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. If you know Paul's story, the dude was beaten, imprisoned, not an easy life. And he's saying, I've learned to be content in any circumstances. See, what gratitude does when you cultivate all of God's faithfulness in the past celebrate what God's done in the past. You have the ability to sit in the moment and see the beauty of the moment. See, what I have to do sometimes is have a conversation with myself in the driveway before I get in there in my own life. Go, All right, I'm about to hit Thanksgiving. In my head, I know the perfect picture of what I want this to be about. I know exactly the memories I want to have. And God, would you help me to embrace the moment? To not look for the next thing and want for the next thing, but to sit in this moment and take inventory of all that I have to be grateful for. Because I'll never have this moment, Thanksgiving 2021, Christmas 2021, I'll never have it again. And if I don't force myself to be living in the moment of the present, I will look back and regret this season. See, maybe this week, you need to go back and take inventory of all the small places that you should be grateful. Maybe there's a coworker that does something for you every week and you've grown so accustomed to it that you're missing the present. You just need to say, stop, Susie, the way you handle this is so off. Thank you so much. Maybe there's something your spouse does for you every day, every week. Let's just be cheesy. My wife does the laundry. I don't think about it anymore. Maybe I should pause right now inside of a teaching and say, Amber, thank you for doing the laundry. It, it changes my life. These clothes are clean because of you. Thank you. But you, you see how you can stumble over the moments where gratitude should be pouring out of us. Maybe you should thank a friend was sticking through you and st- through a tough season with you. See, those moments in the present. And lastly, gratitude gives courage for your future. This is what Jesus said in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, your gratitude for what God did in the past gives you courage for tomorrow. And I cannot tell you what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know if you're going to lose your job or get a promotion. I don't know if you're going to get the thing you want for Christmas this year that you've sort of sent text to your spouse and, hey, take a look at this. I don't know if you're going to get it. I don't. But I know this much. You can have peace and have courage for tomorrow because of God's kindness in the past. See, if you show up to Thanksgiving or Christmas this year and you need something from those environments. If you need someone there, if you let, let's just get real practical. If you need to hear the perfect words from your mom or dad that they're proud of you, you will make everything about you. If you need the approval if your brother, your sister, or your friend, you're gonna make it all about you. If you need the perfect gift under the tree, you're gonna unknowingly make it about you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, nothing out there is gonna solve what's empty in here. See, if we're gonna bear with one another, we've gotta cultivate gratitude. And maybe there's some practical places that, that God's gonna just say, hey, I've been really kind to you right here. I've not heard thank you in a while. Maybe God's gonna remind you, man, remember, remember the thing you prayed for last year? It's old hat now. How to get there? Many of our answers to prayer have not been thought about in months, years. And maybe God's gonna bring you back and go, you begged me for that five years ago, and now you're living in it and you've lost your sense of gratitude. That's a problem because you're going to live with undue pressure on what tomorrow brings. that's got to make me happy. The thing next has got to got to make me happy. And God's going, no, 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 nothing out there is going to fix what's empty in here. See, the core message of the gospel is that Jesus bared with you when you were unbearable. See, when we say bear with one another, he went first. The beauty of being a follower of Jesus is that God never asked me to go first. He went first. Jesus bore with you when you were unbearable. And then all he asks is, would you just do the same? You bear with each other. I was talking to my dad on the phone last night. I was talking to the teaching. He had that old man wisdom. It's just a quick aside for 5% of the room. Some of you are ungrateful because you have trouble bearing with yourself. You look in the mirror and you don't like who you are, how you look, how you act, what your life is, what you've made of yourself. And maybe the seed of ingratitude is a little deeper for you. And in this season heading into the holidays, it's really complicated you're going to be around people that's going to feed that. Like, well, there's my brother who's way more successful. I hate myself. I don't like who I am. And you have trouble bearing with yourself. Maybe the only thing you need to hear is this. Jesus is wild about you. What you see in the mirror and hate, he sees and loves. And maybe the breakthrough for gratitude for you is that you would bow your life to Jesus. If that's you, make sure you talk to your campus pastor today, talk to your 12 stone home leader. We'd love to have that conversation with you because listen, Jesus bore with us when we were unbearable and the invitation over this holiday season is that Jesus would transform how we do relationships because once we bow to our creator, we can bear with each other. So as the campus pastors get ready to step up, I want to leave you with a question. David and Morgan getting ready to step up in 12 stone home want to leave you with a question here's the question Where have you bought into the lie that something out there will solve what's lacking in here